Hello, welcome back. This is the gray area, baby. Your host, Billy, host Drew. You know the vibes, Drew. What's up? What's popping? Brand new whip just hopped in. What's going on, brother? Happy belated birthday to my uh, to my brother Billy. You know, he had a you know, he had a special one this year. Shout out Mamba. Mamba year. Shout out Mamba. Uh, R.I.P. Kobe Bryant. Um, you know, Kobe doing work too far on my shirt, but how was your birthday, man? <laughs> My birthday was pretty good, man. Um, you know, I mean, as you said, it is my Mamba, my Mamba year. I uh, I wore a yellow jacket out in honor of Kobe. Only reason, you know, I, I was picking out the fit, and I said, "This is only right." If I if I could have wore a Kobe jersey to the establishment I was going, one, I would have looked ridiculous, but two, I might have done it. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty funny if you rocked the, uh, a Kobe jersey on your twenty fourth birthday, <laughs> like the whole shit. Sure. I'm sure it's been done. I'm sure it's been done. Um, but man, so yeah, man, I'm glad you enjoyed your birthday. Now that we're talking about Kobe, I was just talking to one of my, to one of my coworkers and he has like a couple pairs of like old Kobe shoes, um, Nikes. I don't even know which ones they were, but he was basically saying like, you know, and he, he wore them out. They're worn out. But he's like, I just looked to see like what they were going for like online and he's like I can get like three or four hundred bucks for like my worn out like Kobe's like right now and I was like that's pretty fucking crazy um like wow yeah so I didn't even realize like his stuff was like reselling like that but I guess it it kind of makes sense yeah wow I wonder how much because I'm sure that there's the hype I guess I don't know if that's even the right word but like the hype around him in his death I'm sure that's gone down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he was talking, and I didn't fact check him. Fact check him. So mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know if it's still like the case, but I think he said at one point he looked. So maybe he was blowing smoke. Um, again, I don't know. But I was like, damn, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. No. It, I mean, I believe it. R.I.P. Mamba. But yeah. Overall, enjoyed my enjoyed my birthday. Um, I went out into downtown Chicago on Saturday. Uh, for you listeners. Oh, uh, so you, so, oh, so you're not from Chicago, Chicago, huh? Nah, bro, don't tell me, buddy. <laughs> I'm, I'm from, I'm the Chicago to, police. Yeah, I'm close enough to, to Chicago that if someone's not from Illinois, I'll just say I'm from Chicago. But like, if you, if like someone who actually lives in Chicago even gets a sniff of me, they're like, <laughs> <laughs> nigga, you ain't from Chicago. Where you from? <laughs> Where's your zip code? <laughs> Uh, yeah, man. Um, we went to, well, we went to flight club and that place, it, it's, it's very, it's a very cool place. What it is, is, um, it's like a darts place, right? Where, and it's, it's not just regular dart boards, but they have like fun games that you can do. They have, um, it's kind of like a monopoly dart, depending where you hit it, you get like a certain amount of, you know, steps go around the board. They've got, you know, ones where you got to like pop a bunch of balloons. So we got, we got like unlimited drinks and food. People were just getting fucked up, having a good time, throwing darts. Um, but the, the funniest thing about it was one of my, one of my friends from school, uh, shout out Alec. He, uh, <laughs> when he, when I originally invited him, uh, and I put him and our other friend, Ben, uh, that I went to school with in, in a group chat. And I was like, Hey guy, like I'm doing this for my birthday at, at flight club. He misread the message and he thought that we went, we were going to do fight club. <laughs> and, 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 and he tells me this on Saturday, like right when I see him, we're, you know, pregame. And he goes, I gotta be honest, man, for about, 
for about four or five days, I thought we were all going to have unlimited food and drinks, and we were about to go watch some underground amateur fight club. <laughs> I was like, damn, Billy, where'd you get this raw-ass fight club from, bro? Like, he thought I just had this whole thing schemed in the underground, and I was like – that would have been way cooler to be that would have been a hundred percent cooler um wow that's that's hilarious now i've been to flight club though um back when i was working in chicago we went there for some happy hours for work one of my coworkers had their going away party there um their food is actually really good like you would oh, never unreal. Yeah, yeah you wouldn't <laughs> even think like they had good food but like it's like and for those who are wondering it's like uh it's like bar food but like high-end bar food i would say like yeah it's like buffalo chicken sliders mini burgers like tacos flatbread pizzas and stuff like that real good food yeah definitely check it out um it's a good time for like especially during covid there's not much you can really do um so you know go out there check it out um but the flight club the fight club thing reminds me of one of my buddies uh that i worked with in chicago he had went to thailand and um basically he went to like it wasn't a, it was like real fights kind of, but for like $5, five US dollars, he went and got drunk, like ringside seats and watched like fights all day. And it was like anything from like grown men to like 12 year old kids, like just like doing Muay Thai and just like whooping each other's ass. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, he was, he was like, it was epic, but he was like, at the same time though, I feel like those, like there was definitely a couple fights where like these dude, these kids were super small, super young and like had no headgear. And it's like, yeah, that would have been illegal in America. <laughs> Oh, for sure. That's, that's, but entertainment, 100%. <laughs> you know what, dude? Let's just, you know what? If we could make a new exception to child labor laws and put like an asterisk that says like can do WWE slash UFC <laughs> fights, I'd be cool with it. I'm sure the kids would love it. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man, for sure. Um, but yeah, no, I'm glad you had a good birthday, man. I, I kind of been laying low not doing much i've been i think i mentioned on the last pod um i'm trying to fucking stay my ass at home for the rest of the year you know it's a fucking pandemic you know i'm gonna have a little fun here and there uh but i'm really just trying to you know be you know more financially responsible save a little bit more money make some money make some money moves for next year i'm um, trying to trying to get some you know investment properties going um and do a little bit more traveling since i wasn't able to do much in 2020 so Rand of the year, I will be trying to stay at home. We'll see how long that lasts because um, I'm not very good at it. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll see. Saturday we'll rolls see. around. You're going out for drinks. You say, ah, shit, I did it fuck, again. Yeah, fuck it. Um, no, but I've been chilling, though. But, man, since last time we've talked, last time I know we've talked to the listeners, uh, you know, it was right before the debate. You know, it was right before the NBA finals. Honestly, the news cycle, like, in general, it's so fast that that shit feels like light years ago, but especially like right now, it feels like light years ago, right? Like think about where we were. Um, shit. Was that like a week, a week ago yesterday, you know, the day before the debates, everything seems like it's all good. You know, election about a month away, but man, a lot of shit has happened. (laughs) Yeah, dude, it doesn't like, it seems like the debate was several weeks ago. And it was to the point where, like, me and you talked before we even started recording. We're like, that might be old news to talk about. Isn't that crazy? Like, That's that's crazy. Um, but I don't know if you had any key takeaways from the debate. I think everybody basically had the same takeaways from the debate. 
Um, You'd be surprised. <laughs> I I saw some outlandish takes about. <laughs> Please share. Please yeah, share. <laughs> I I saw. Um, so you know, I mean, one it some of it was the you know right wing political pundits, you know, the blue check mark people of Twitter and Instagram, who, of course, they're going to defend and make Trump's performance look better than it was, which I think it was pretty objective that he did terribly. But uh, it's it, I I saw a couple of like people that I know, you know, just on Facebook and Twitter kind of share the same opinion be like, well, if you learned anything from that debate, it's uh, Joe Biden is like uh, an angry old man or something. And I was like, bro, they counted. And Donald Trump in one hour interrupted Joe Biden 80 times. <laughs> like, yeah. what do you mean? Like, yeah. I don't, like, did we watch the same debate? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. And for me, my one of my biggest takeaways from the whole thing was – Trump is who we thought he was. Like, like that's that's just takeaway yeah. number one. But takeaway number two, the amount of people that are just so like, so unwilling to like look at things objectively and then actually have an opinion. Now, for example, so if you went on any social media website after the debate, a lot of the narrative that people were pushing was, "Wow, that was very really unbearable to watch. It was really embarrassing." A hundred percent agree with that. But they were also kind of throwing Joe Biden in the same category as far as like, you know, he, his tactics, his, his um, what he was doing, what he, how he was talking, how he was coming across. And I was like, you could not have been watching the same thing that I was watching. Like, Joe Biden may not have sound clear, crisp. He stuttered a little bit. Uh, he's a fucking old ass man. I don't think he should. I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a Joe Biden truther. I don't fucking really like him. <laughs> but like, he he, he was acting like an adult, at least. He called Trump a clown after being interrupted several, several, several times. Um, but my takeaway wasn't that, wow, both of these people are unfit. It was, this one guy is a fucking narcissist and Joe Biden is just, maybe he, he I don't think he's unfit necessarily, um, but he's definitely a better option. Like, <laughs> it's not even close. Yeah, not dude, even close. Without a doubt. Not it, even it, close. That, that opinion... Uh, what that was, that was my, this is maybe this is a theory I'm coming up with on the spot is that people who said this is unbearable to watch. And like, they're both terrible options watched for like the th first 10 to 15 minutes and then stopped watching. Cause yeah. that's how, that's how I felt. And then I, I don't know at what point I realized this, but at one point they started asking questions and it, it, it started off where, you know, Donald Trump would say some shit and he would talk shit about Joe Biden and then Joe Biden would say some shit and talk shit about Trump and they would kind of bicker and, you know, Chris Wallace had to break it up. And then at some point, I think Joe Biden realized this isn't a winning strategy for me. When I, when I get asked the question, I'm not going to reference Trump in like how he's fucked up unless I really need to, I'm going to tell Americans like what my problem was. And the, th the way, the one that stood out the most to me was the issue of policing in America, you know, black lives matter and Trump, the entire time Trump was trying to get Biden to be like, I don't support cops and you know, like all these crazy things. And Biden's like, listen, when I'm in office, we're going to get police officers, community leaders together. We're going to do this. We're going to do that, whatever. And whether you agree or not with his plan, is is a different question but it's he at least was saying hey americans 
this is the plan that you should vote for because this is what I'm trying to do. And the entire right. time Donald Trump did not tell anything. He basically made it seem like he wasn't the president right now and this crazy shit wasn't happening. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the most crazy thing when it's like, you see what's going on now? Oh yeah, this is gonna keep happening under him. Like that's not a winning strategy. Another thing that I don't believe was a winning strategy um for Trump was they <laughs> it seems like the their way of like I mean, I, I'm convinced that it doesn't matter who the who the candidate would be; they would use the same probably tactics, the same tactics most likely. But they're trying to paint Joe Biden as some socialist, some like like he like he's a democratic socialist, like he's um, AOC or like he's Bernie or like he's Elizabeth Warren. And if you know anything about me, you know I love all those people. But um, <laughs> we're talking about like what's going on right now. Um, that's not a winning strategy because everybody in the world, everybody in America, maybe people that don't watch Fox News, but uh, like Democrats especially know that Joe Biden is not the progressive candidate, like not even close to being the progressive candidate. He does not, he's not for Medicare for all. He's not for uh, quote unquote defunding the police. He's not for the Green New Deal. Um, he's, he still takes corporate money, like corporate money from Wall Street. He takes tech money. He takes, you know, he, he has these massive super PACs and PACs backing him. Like he is more establishment, like, as fuck. <laughs> as fuck. Like he is corporate. He's corporate as fuck. Like he is not like corporations hate AOC, hate Liz, hate Bernie because they're going to be fucked. They're going to have to pay taxes. Biden is like more status quo. And it's so easy to look up Joe Biden's like policy plans and what he supports versus what he doesn't support on a quick Google search um, and see that he's not like the radical candidate that the Trump administration seems to be trying to paint him as. Now, maybe it works. Maybe just poor, maybe just um, trying to shape the entire Democratic Party as socialist is that might work for their viewers. I don't know. Um, I don't really watch Fox News, but I just don't think that's a winning strategy, man. Like everybody, like I don't know. Everybody knows he's not a fucking progressive. <laughs> it's not. It's not a news. Cats out the bag here on uh, the gray area. <laughs> Breaking news. We're going to be credited in the New York Times breaking Joe Biden, not a socialist. <laughs> yeah, I just, it's weird. I think he's probably like, he's probably like the stableness that the country will probably be under Joe Biden is probably what corporate America wants. Like with Trump, it's like, we could be doing really, 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 really well at a, at a high, at a peak, but like we come crashing down at any fucking moment <laughs> with one, with one tweet. Yeah. <laughs> with one, with one tweet. Which, I, I'm glad you brought that up, and I'm not going to cover this in, in, in super detail, because um, this is more of just first emotional reaction. Trump tweets out today, fucking today, that uh, he has told all his representatives and his team to stop working to get a deal done for coronavirus relief, because in his words, Nancy Pelosi is quote-unquote... Uh, unfairly negotiating and not in good faith and which by the way for those who don't know there's a lot more people in congress than nancy pelosi but um but he he's he's putting all that relief bill money away and trying to focus on passing this supreme court justice before the election which i'm sorry but even if you're if you've been a trump supporter how could you support that given the fact that over 200,000 small businesses are 
closing, you know, people are getting evicted from their house. They put a, a rent moratorium so that people could not be evicted from their houses. Uh, if, and this is a big if, they meet these qualifications and then submit an affidavit to their landlord. And that landlord then has to agree to it. So if your landlord decides to challenge you in court, there's still a chance that you can get evicted. It also doesn't stop late fees. And it also doesn't relieve any of the money that you owe. So it's not like January 1st is going to roll around and everyone's going to be like, oh, goody, 2021. Like I have all this money to pay my rent now. So I think it's a disgrace. I wanted our listeners to hear that if they don't see it on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, I think it's important you look that up because another, it's just another fuck Trump moment. Really? Yeah, yeah, man. It's, it's a complete and utter disgrace. Um, And you just played it out with fucking cold hard facts, right? Like hundreds of thousands of businesses, let alone employees, individual employees at these businesses, um, places that can't operate can't operate at full capacity, people who are used to making this, now making that, um, making nothing. And, you know, that $600 extra a week, that has been long gone. It got extended until I think now they're getting like maybe an extra 200 or like something, something crazy like that. Um, yeah, man. And it's just like, we don't really care that there are businesses, pillars in some of these communities, gone forever. Right. Literally. Never coming back. And people, you know, it, it it's hard for some people to see and I'm, I'm sure you know most people we know and listeners that we know are going to be people in the suburbs and it's it's a little hard for people that live in a suburb maybe i'm not saying you live comfortably and you're super privileged but you go out in your community and there's plenty of options of places and if you if a small place like a small business shuts down in your neighborhood let's just say it's like a restaurant you're going to be like, damn, that sucks. I really like that. But when you go into either the inner city or you go to rural America out in Appalachia, they don't have all these options that we have. And if some of that shit shuts down and they've got one diner in the town, like what are people going to do? Yeah, man, that's super important to bring up. And also, right, like in the suburbs, you're more likely to have a plethora of chain restaurants. And these chain restaurants are large corporations and they have the ability to get this corporate bailout money from the Trump administration um, eat a lot easier than some of these small businesses that have to go through a ton of fucking red tape. Maybe not the, the, you know, the, the biggest, um, maybe they're not the most knowledgeable when it comes to, you know, dealing with this stuff because they've never had to deal with this stuff before. Um, it's just, it's just the overall, it's a sad, sad story. And there's a guy that I follow on Twitter. Um, I can't remember his name right now, but I'll try to plug it later. And, um, in the either in the show notes or uh, next episode but he basically goes like he, he'll tweet out like when you know a restaurant or a bar or something in chicago like announces that it's closing its doors uh, due to covid and this is just one city man like imagine like just across the fucking world or across the country um since we're just talking about you know the u.s right now it's sad it's sad and people are like well what what is the government supposed to do the government has the ability to pass another cares act pass another stimulus stimulus bill and um the amount of money that was given to very 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 large corporations with little to no um little to no binding what am i what's the language i'm looking for like strings attached like it wasn't like hey we're gonna give you this money but you have to do this this and this and this now there was a little bit of restrictions uh for example some of those airlines uh, when they got those large bailouts back i think april march um 
they were they were told that they couldn't lay people off um, up and, and make any uh, layoffs until like October. And guess what? October's coming around. Fucking American Airlines and United is fucking cutting thousands and thousands and thousands of jobs. Now they're saying, oh, they're furloughed for now, but who knows, right? Like if the travel industry doesn't bounce back in 2021, those people are going to be out of fucking work. Um, and it, it's just like, ridiculous how easy it is for these corporations to get money but they don't even have to fucking take care of their people they're giving stuff they're doing these companies have been doing stock buybacks they've been fucking um giving these executives fucking millions and millions of dollars of bonuses while they're fucking laying off workers that are making 50 60 70 thousand dollars tell me how that fucking makes sense it doesn't and and the thing that's crazy too when they were applying for this small business loan um Peter Schiff, if I don't, I, I'm not sure if you remember him. He was that uh, libertarian economist that was on uh, Joe Rogan. I recommended that you were not really a fan of, but he he made a really good point on his interview with Joe Rogan. If anyone wants to listen to it, that there was almost no, you know, like as you mentioned, there was no strings attached up into a certain amount of money. You as a company or you know a small business were able to apply for up to $2 million without any sort of, you know, follow-up. And it was supposed to be for people who were small businesses, uh, whose workers, you know, weren't working. But what ended up happening was places like hedge funds, which can be operated completely remotely, didn't lose any of their workers, kept everybody on staff. We're just getting that money and then giving it as compensation, you know, like, and, and, and then you, you look at some of the other big players, like Yeezy. Yeezy got uh, a small business loan. Uh, the Los Angeles Lakers did, which that's hilarious in, in, in its own right. But they, they actually returned theirs. Wahlburgers, you know, places that you wouldn't, when you think of small businesses, you're not thinking of these people. And these are the people that were most able to get the loans. And I don't know about you out in North Carolina, but I see people in Illinois, these small businesses that have shut their doors already just because they don't have those same, uh, same access points, same connections. Yeah, man, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, now I do have some numbers here. So back in August, American airlines announced they were cutting 19,000 jobs, which equates to 30% of their frontline workers. Um, but they received a $5.8 billion uh, bailout by the government. Um, yeah, man. And in their boom, they made $7.6 billion a year in profit. Instead of fucking saving that money for a rainy day, they spent $13 billion on stock buybacks and dividends over five short years. Um, I don't know if you want to do the math, but they got a $6 million, basically a $6 billion um, bailout. And even though they were making well over that on a year over year basis, right? Like when are we going to start holding these people, these corporations accountable the way that we hold like average Americans when someone fucking, you know, maxes out their credit card, can't pay their bills. You're like, well, it should have been a little bit better financially. Right. That's, that's how we treat, that's how we treat workers. Um, that's not how we treat large, large corporations. That's not how we treat small businesses. And, um, it's fucking insane. There is a, there's a pretty good book that I think I recommended on here before called uh, winners take all. And it's basically about corporate, it's about corporate uh, philanthropy and how corporations and the rich use philanthropy to uh, quote unquote, like limit 
limit their losses. Now, let me, let me explain. So a lot of the corporations, and I think the Black Lives Matter movement right now is a, probably a good, a good example of this. So a lot of corporations are pushing, you know, social justice, you know, and police brutality and racism, all that good stuff, right? Putting thousands, you know, millions of dollars into, you know, charitable foundations, uh, you know, organizations that are on the ground doing real work. Now, so the work that's getting done is real. Don't get me wrong. However, we put, we put these corporations in charge of changing the world, but while they're changing the world, they're actually creating the problems. So when they're changing the world, they're changing the world in a way that it limits their losses. So it's like, hey, it's going to happen eventually. So we're going to put ourselves in, in charge of it so that we, we don't lose everything so we can lose the least amount as possible. Does that make sense? Are you following kind of what I'm saying? No, yeah, no, that it makes a lot of sense because I'm sure everyone listening will see you go on social media or you watch on TV and now there's all these uh, – you know, pro-black movements and embracements of Black Lives Matter, you know, places like uh, Adidas and Nike and all these big brands across the board. And just a couple of years ago, when it was a little less politically convenient for them or business, business convenient, they, wh- where was, where were they at? You know, like right. where, it, where was the real movement if you actually cared? No, exactly. And, and I think an even better example will probably be like, for example, um, so we see like, um, like what's the what's the big oil company with the with the e um exxon mobile so you know what you watch a fucking exxon mobile commercial and they're talking about how they're doing all this shit for renewable energy like finding all these different ways to like you know limit our carbon footprint while all that's fucking fine and dandy you are literally responsible for creating such a, a large amount of this um co2 emissions that we do have it's just like you, like you're, you're you're like pouring fucking gas like you're like you have a fire going and you're like pouring like a little bit of water and then pouring a little bit of gasoline like it's just it's just fucking weird like they're not really trying to help us they're just trying to limit the they're like they know that if they don't move this way they're gonna be fucked but they're still able to lobby our our lobby in congress to, to block um developments of accessible public transportation dude if you look at like a lot of other countries in the world and look look at united states it's so fucking hard to get anywhere in the united states the only really really way you have to drive or fly you can do buses but that's a fucking hassle every other modern country with the amount of technology and the amount of money with the amount of resources that we have you can hop on a fucking train be in the next state be in the next country like that like this like that like at a super efficient price low co2 emissions um but if you actually look at like I think uh, Nashville, Tennessee is a really good example. Um, they lobby these companies, oil and these gas companies, they and these car companies. They lobby against any development of hyperrails or long-term or long-distance uh, trains. Like this, they they literally lobby against this. Like it's that will objectively create make our lives a hell of a lot better. Right. And, and I know I'm kind of going on a rant here. I just. I just want people to realize that we are controlled by the corporations and we like, and um, you know, it's important that you guys know this so we can figure out what to do to fucking get out of this because the things that are being pushed, the things that are passing, yes, we are getting better. We're, we're, we're moving, we're moving forward. However, we're moving at a turtle's pace when we can be moving like fucking rabbits. Um, and that's, I guess that's my two cents. I don't even know how the fuck I got here, but this shit gets me going. 
we we were just going down the law. We started with uh, with Trump, you know, uh, and no coronavirus relief bill, you know, helping yep. people, and then we got to here. But yeah, the, la- the last thing I'll say about it is the best way you could describe the way a majority of major corporations in America are when, when you're looking at things that they do harm compared to what they're doing to fix the harm. It's, it's like if you had a friend who stole your wallet and then helped you find your wallet, <laughs> it was like, you found your wallet. I'm sorry, like all your money has gone out of your wallet. <laughs> I got you, bro. And then you're you're like, thanks, man. Like you're a good friend. That sucks about my money, and you have no idea that they just finessed you. That yep. friend, that friend is BP and Exxon and JP Morgan Chase and exactly. all. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, they're creating the problems. And and um, the book that I mentioned earlier, um, Winners Take All. It's by I'm not gonna know how to pronounce his fucking last name. Adnan Jihardidis. I don't even know how to fucking say it. I'm not even going to try. Um, he wrote the book, but like he, he, he's a really good follow if you guys are interested. He, I'm pretty sure he's a Harvard alum. He's a writer for the Atlantic. He was a writer for the New York Times. Um, New York Times bestseller. But he's like, we don't, you know, Bezos, it was announced that Bezos was opening up a, a, a really, you know, good school for like low-income families to teach like STEM and like, you know, have these, you know, really good progressive like uh education so these children could learn but like basically adnan's like look this is all cool this is all fine and dandy however you are literally making billions of dollars like exploiting workers underpaying workers doing all these like you know pretty shady things um that's causing the fact that we have so many low-income people and low-income students and low-income families that like there even is a need for this we actually don't really need you to do more good we just need you to do less harm. <laughs> it's like, Literally. it's like everybody's so concerned about like fixing their goddamn reputations and, you know, looking good, getting them headlines, being on the foundations, being on the Smithsonian, um, being on the Smithsonian, like donor list, like all this stuff, you know, cause you, it's about legacy at that, at that point for those people, they want to be remembered and they want to be remembered in a good way. Uh, but at the end of the day, man, we don't need you to do more good. We don't need you to fix our problems. We just need you to do, do less harm. That's all. So, uh, definitely check out that book. He breaks down basically how we've shifted from um, kind of the, it, I don't know if it's as simple to say from the people having power to the corporations having power, but basically what it, it breaks down, like how we've shifted from, you know, real grassroots like voting and, you know, movements to get pro- progressive policies passed to like more so now it's like, the corporations kind of control it and um they're you know they're the ones that are at the forefront of most of the social change um instead of like the people if that makes sense and when they're at the front of it we're not benefiting as much as we would be if we were at the front of it if that makes sense um so definitely check that out it's a really good read i think that i think that anybody on any side of the political spectrum would be would actually like this um just for the simple fact fact that like you know, when Trump ran, like his whole agenda was like, I'm going to drain this Trump. I'm anti-establishment. I'm not, you know, no one can buy me, like things like that. So, I, and that appealed to um, a lot of, uh, you know, white, middle-class, working-class, blue-collar workers. Um, so I, I don't think you have to be like, you know, necessarily a, a liberal, a progressive to to like this book because it, it just points out the way that we get things done and who controls how we get things done. And I think that you it's eye-opening, so check that out.
Yeah, no, I'll, I'll go ahead and when, when we post the episode, I will plug the book in the, um, in the bio. So make sure everyone gets that highly recommended as well. I actually have the book, haven't started it, just finished another book. So I can't detail as much as Drew, but I do follow him on Twitter and Anand is a very, very smart man. Yeah. Super smart man. If you want to borrow my copy, jump in the gray airs DM, jump in my personal DMs. I'll fucking mail it to you. Um, if you're okay with reading my notes, my little scribble scrabble. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a good book. I can't believe we we're like 40, 35 minutes into this podcast and we haven't even fucking mentioned that Trump's got fucking COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I was I, like, for a second, I did think that I was like, damn, because we were, we started talking about the debate and stuff. And then I'm like, this man just snuck up and got, and got the cocoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We completely, I mean, like we were definitely not like we were not planning on talking about it. We definitely were. We just kind of got like, you know, I got a little emotional, you know, had to go on my little Kanye rant. Um, but man, that was the funniest shit ever when I found, when I got that update <laughs> on my phone. Dude, it's, and here's the thing. I'll pretense this by saying, I don't think you should just be wishing death upon people. But if you don't see the irony in the, the guy, get, a guy getting COVID who for months and months denied the disease, blamed it on other countries, told people it's not a big deal. And for the first three months, he knew it, didn't even tell the American public because he didn't want to quote unquote scare people. It's fucking hilarious. Yeah. It's, it's, it, and, and, and like there was a lot of conspiracy theories going around um, when they said he didn't has COVID. I think with the events that have transpired since the announcement and where we are today, uh, Tuesday, October 6th, I, I think it's not a conspiracy. He definitely fucking has COVID. Like, there's no, I, I have no doubts in my mind. Um, but like Tuesday at the debate, he was literally making fun of Joe Biden for wearing a mask. <laughs> and like a day later. <laughs> yeah, day and a half, two days later, got COVID. Like, it's just so ironic and it's so funny. And um, do I wish death upon Sir Donald Trump? No, I do not. But if he died, would I be mad? No, I would not. Yeah. <laughs> I would not. Now, I don't know what the implications that would have on like the stock market, the U.S. economy, all that stuff. I'm sure it'd fucking go, it'd go to shit for a temporary short t- a period of time. Um, but again, would I be mad? Probably not. <laughs> like I, I just have no, I have no empathy for him. Um, I'm not, I would never say, hey, I hope you die, but I just, I don't have any empathy for him. I, I just don't at all. And maybe I'm the bad person because of that. But I think when you, when you prove over and over that you don't care about anyone or anything outside of you and like, he doesn't give a fuck about the Republican Party. Let me just say that. He don't give a fuck about that. It's all about him. Everything, everything that he, Every time he opens his mouth, he's defending himself. He's defending his actions. He's defending how he has the greatest this, has the greatest that. It's he doesn't talk like he. It's us. It's we. It's America. He doesn't talk like that. Um, I just don't have empathy for him. And like I know you mentioned, right? Like the way that he denied COVID, the way that he, you know, kept it from the public. You know, basically said it was a hoax in, back in February. Um, like his 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 track record on COVID itself is enough for me to not have empathy for him. Cause you know what he said, he said, it is what it is. And it is what it is. If you fucking die, Donald, that's all I got to say. Yeah. And I don't know, man, it's it. First off, I have, I'm glad you said about not caring about the Republican party. It's gotta suck. If you are a Republican 
and you got to defend this guy. Because here's the thing. I, I think a lot of people who in very enthusiastically support Donald Trump, you know, they're just uninformed and don't know all the fucked up shit that he has. And in, and in some of those cases, they're like those MAGA level people whose personality is just Trump. Yep. And, and like those people are in cults. Like, let me just put that out there. I The, the, the thing about cults are you don't know you're in one um, when you're in it. And those people are in cults and, and it, I feel it, it's both like, sometimes I'm like, fuck those people. But also like, I feel bad because like something along the line in your life is so bad that you bought into this, but I, I'm more so talking to the, you know, the, the rational person that just happens to be Republican. It's gotta suck, man. It's gotta suck that you have to like do mental gymnastics around why what Donald Trump says or does is good sometimes and it's like, hey, man, there's a guy who's, in my opinion, basically a Republican running for Democrats that you can vote for. But you've got a decision to make November 3rd. That's Yeah, man. And, and that's – the last four years has, like, definitely, like – I don't want to say radicalized me, but definitely it's pushing me, like, even more to the left because of the – the core of the Republican party that has just been bowing to this and not standing up for like what they believe in. Now I'm not anywhere near being a conservative. I'm nowhere near being a Republican, but there's a, there's an element that I can respect like some things, right. Um, I'm not going to maybe get into that on this pod right now, but like there's, there's a way that, you know, there's a lane for, for, conservatives moving forward there always will be a lane for conservatives moving forward um probably for a while but they're just been so unwilling to stick up for their like actual beliefs and they just literally bow and kneel to whatever he says and i just i think blind allegiance is the the one of the number one signs of like a failing government one of the number one signs of like borderline like dictator style politics um blind allegiance like if if i was a diehard aoc or diehard bernie or diehard hillary and then they went into the office of the united states government and did some did continuously show that they don't give a fuck about the people they make terrible decisions um you know moving us out of the paris climate agreement taking us out of you know the list goes on i'm not going to be like a defender of that person, I'm going to be like, wow, I feel like a piece of shit for supporting that person. I thought that they stood for this, this, and this. However, they've shown me their true colors, and we need to get this person out as soon as possible so we don't tarnish the good name of our party, tarnish the good name of you know, our belief system, things like that. But that's not what has happened in the last four years. There's a very, very small amount of Republican senators, Republican pundits, um, analysts who like seriously critique DJT and challenges challenge what he says. It goes against the grain. It's not, there's the list is very short, man. It's very 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 fucking short. Um, and I just hate this blind allegiance. And there's blind allegiance to the Democratic side of the house too, but it's 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 not anywhere near on this level. And we need to stop. We need to get away from this blind allegiance. We need to hold our elected officials accountable, no matter what support party they're in. Um, you know what side of the house they live on. We just gotta hold these fucking people accountable. 
No, exactly. We've, I mean, if anything, it's a combination of, you know, Trump and social media and all sorts of things, you know, that have gotten to this point where we're so like invested in tribalism where it's like, we don't even care about when I say we, I mean, just a large chunk of the country, not necessarily everyone, but we just don't care about doing what works best. Who has the best idea. It's always like our side versus theirs, you know? And it, it seems like the Democrats, at least Democratic supporters are always very vocal about, you know, things wrong in the Democratic Party, especially people who in our generation are more on the progressive side. Well, we'll call out the thing, but I don't see that, like you said, on the other end of the spectrum where there's people who are Republicans and they'll say, you know, I'm going to be outwardly against Trump and I'm not going to vote for him. Or, you know, I'm going to sit this one out or I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. It, you just don't see it as much. I don't know if that's because the Democrats have like a bigger tent per se or what it is, but we got to get away from this fact, man. Like I, I know plenty of people out here who voted for Donald Trump in 2016. And I know some people who still plan on voting for Donald Trump in 2020 as crazy as that seems to me, but we don't have to ride or die for the blue or red. We like don't. We have to we do don't. what's best for us. We don't at all. Um, and there, and no, even wrong. There's, I think the evidence will will show that there's there's voters out there that are like, well, I fucked up in 2016. So like, I just want to kind of clarify my comments right. I've yeah. before. There are people that are, hey, I can't have liked <laughs> this shit's fucked. Like there definitely is. Uh, my ex girlfriend's mom was one of those uh, where she was like, no, there's no way in hell I would ever vote for him again. Like, no fucking chance. And um, at least, you know, people like that are willing to, you know, chalk up the L to like, hey, I fucked up, but let's let's get this shit right next time. Um, it's pretty crazy. And I think this is a good time to transition a little bit to, to just like, brief, I, I just wanted to briefly talk about the, the upcoming election here. Um, you know, now remember when we're going in 2016, you know, Hillary basically had a lead in most states, most battleground states had a national lead, I think. I think at this point, a month away from the election in 2016, she was nationally uh, up six points. And I just wanted to compare to where we're at today. Um, and right now, Joe Biden is nationally up 16 points. Now, don't think this is me saying we need to take our foot off the gas, because we, we don't. We don't at all. We, everybody needs to, you know, mobilize and vote and, you know, go out there and make sure your voice is heard on November Um Oh, no, what is it? November third. Um, yes, but this lead is not. It's not. It's not 2016. Now it's not saying that crazy things can ha crazy things can happen because crazy things have happened, um, especially with the upcoming, you know, Supreme Court, um, Supreme Court uh, nominee, and the fact that you know Trump's already said that he, you know, if he loses, he plans on contesting it and trying to bring it up to the Supreme Court because of voter fraud and you know mass you know, mail-in ballots. Um, and, you know, who knows what happens if this gets chalked up to the Supreme Court and they have to make a decision, which is, you know, then they'll have, a, what, a 6-3 uh, Republican, uh, de like, Democrat, like, lead on the on the Supreme Court. So crazy things have happened, so I'm not saying take your foot off the gas. However, I am saying that it's not 2016 Trump. I, I, I don't, I think it's going to be a landslide, honestly. But at the end of the day, crazier things have happened, so... Um, I just wanted to highlight and say, hey, I, I don't think 2016, 2020 is anything like 2016.
Oh yeah, it's it's. Uh, I, I agree. I don't think it's going to be as shocking of a result. I don't, and, and I don't think that. Well, one thing it's important to remind remind people of too is that Hillary Clinton was really unlikable. Like yeah. <laughs> you know, like here's the thing. I I feel that some people don't really like Joe Biden but I feel like a lot of people are kind of indifferent to him. But what I do know is that Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton and just like the Clinton family has been hated for years. So she was as unhateable as he was, she was a couple steps above him. And I think Joe Biden is definitely above her in likability. But like Drew said, we, you can't take the foot off the gas because there's people who said, there's no way Trump could win in 2016. And then he did. And now there's also a lot of those same people saying there's no way he could win now. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I just think what we're, we're going to notice is that mail-in ballots are going to take a while to count for those who don't yep. know. Uh, mail-in ballots can't even like the envelopes with those ballots cannot even be opened until November 3rd. So all the thousands and thousands of people who have already voted ahead of time, None of those votes have been counted. We have no idea like, what the result of the election is so far. And because we need to count those, we're going to end up uh, not knowing really who the president is on November 3rd. I Sorry to let anybody down or maybe to stress you out more about that, but you, I would say uh, you probably won't know the president until that next weekend. That's, yep. No, that's, that's a fact. That's a fact. There's going to be um, more people voting by mail this year than ever before. Um, and we've already did an episode on this, so I'm not trying to go down another tangent. Right. Um, Mail-in voter fraud is almost non-existent, uh, statistically negligible, um, but Trump has clearly tried to already interject that, hey, I'm going to contest this if I lose. So, yeah, man, it's going to be crazy. The only other election that was similar to this would probably be that 20, 2000, 2000 election, the Gore-Bush, where um, it was something – uh, something crazy happened in Florida and then it had to go to the Supreme Court where we, they didn't know who was going to win the, the uh, election until uh, I want to say it was like a week or two after that. Um, one more thing that I want to bring up here. I was reading an article today. I was just curious. I was just wanting to see like, hey, are there some indicators out there that show like, hey, are we going to have a voter surge of turnout this year like compared to 2016? 2016, I think we had about 60% voter turnout uh, of eligible voters. Um, which isn't that great, um, but it's, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, um, it was lower than normal or lower than usual. Like that's pretty, it's pretty like on par, like year over year. Um, but like with the, with the, the movement of 2020 with all this momentum, um, especially on t television, you know, everybody, every commercial you see is like, hey, register to vote, this NFL register to vote, NBA register to vote, NHL register to vote, MLB, you know, everybody's pushing these, you know, uh, to get people to put, use their voice and make sure that their voice is heard. You know, there's tons of celebrities, tons of uh, athletes who have said, hey, I, I'm not going to lie, I never voted before 2020, but I'm voting this year. And I'm going to make sure that I vote every year after this because I see how important it is. Um, and I just was like, hey, I was curious. I was, I was just sitting at my desk. I'm like, I'm curious. Like, are we, are we expecting like mass, like a, a larger actual statistical increase on voter turnout? And um, I read an interesting article from uh, the Brookings Institute, which is a think tank in DC. Um, and basically they were like, hey, we, we don't really, it's not an exact science by any means, but we analyzed uh, some pretty good data from 
you know, if you ask people prior to each election, whether they, whether or not they thought the world, the country would be, you know, very different depending on who won the election. Every year it was like, you know, 40% said no difference, 50 per, 60% said, yeah, there might be a little bit of difference. Um, and, but every year that that gap was wider, the voter turnout was higher. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, so this year people have asked, you know, the same poll, hey, do you think the world, you know, the country is going to be, you know, a lot different with Trump or Biden? And it's like, if Trump, like, it's, it's a very, very wide gap. Like, hey, yeah, like, the world can be way different on depending on who wins versus like in previous years, like, uh, it doesn't really matter who wins. Everything's pretty much going to stay the same. Um, it's like 80% of people say, hey, no, like, <laughs> it actually matters this year. Like, if Trump wins, like, it's going to look different. If Biden wins, it's going to look different. And um, that's a pretty good indicator to me that we're, we're expecting a little bit of a higher turnout. Now, I think the most ever we had was around 1908. I think we had 65% voter turnout. Um, and then after that, we've never hit that peak. But there's a lot of analysts that say, hey, we could see 65% turnout. And people are like, well, that's only 5% higher. Um, that doesn't seem like a whole lot. It's like over 20 million people. Like it's it's a pretty, pretty large increase. Uh, there's been a there was a surge in 2016 with young voters, and I think we're going to continue to see that that surge of young voters going out there and using their um, using their their voice. You, you got to remember one thing though, like this is the mass shooting generation, um, the the gen the, the wait gen gen Z right gen I almost said Gen X, the Gen Z like this the Stoneman Douglas the Parklands the the generation who lived through a lot of this shit. Um, firsthand and a lot of these people a lot of these young kids are, are now voting and like um sandy hook like all this all the shit that's happened in the last 10 15 years like it's gonna come to fruition and people who may not in historic in people in the age groups where they may not have voted historically are gonna start are starting to vote now um so we'll see if this if this actually equates to a larger turnout i'm hoping it equates to a larger turnout i just wanted to share a little bit of these data points that i uh, came across no, I think that's important to know. Um, I, I mean, with I didn't have the stats. I kind of just expected there would be a higher amount, given, I, I, given just I guess in my own life, seeing people realize that they should have voted in 2016, or things have gotten like way crazier than they thought that they would be, especially with this pandemic. And a lot of people have showed like I got to show up, like I got interest. And I, for those listening. Um, there, I will let you know this about voting as someone who has voted since I was eligible at age 17. Um, you, you don't have to worry about voting and taking a long time, man. It's not like something you got to take the whole day off. While I do think that, uh, we should make election day a, a national holiday. Uh, that's a different story. But what I'll say is you could most likely go after work or if you're not working during the day, you go. It, it takes you like 10, 15 minutes in total. If you live in like the city, maybe, you know, they're like where you go vote, it might take longer. You know, if you live in a state like uh, like Kentucky or something like that, where, you know, like the, the polls aren't as prevalent, it, it might be a different story. But it, the average person, I would say, could go vote within 30 minutes. So I highly recommend you do, whether you care about the president or not, 
there's a lot of other things to vote for. Um, there's, you know, judges, there's local representatives, local mayors, though that shit matters a fucking lot more than necessarily the president does to you in your everyday life. In Illinois, for example, there's a thing called, um, the fair tax. And it's basically a vote, um, to make a graduated income tax for it. Once you make over, I think $250,000 in Illinois, then your income tax will start rising. It's a vote if the people want a yes or no on that. So there's a lot of things that matter to you. So all I'm saying is I'm not going to tell you who to vote for it. Cause you know who I would want you to vote for it, but I'll tell you, if you have spent the last four years complaining about a bunch of elected officials and then you don't go vote, it's like, you just like to talk shit. Like you yep. just like to complain. A hundred percent, Billy. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and I didn't even mention, right. The local, the local um, importance of voting. Um, the eight, the, you know, the attorney general, the fucking um, the prosecutors, like those are things that actually have an impact on your day to day lives a lot more than the president. And you got to make sure you're using your voice and getting your voice out there. Um, I think that's enough. I think that's enough of the political shit for now. Um, just, yeah. it's, it's just, it's just been a crazy year, man. It's just been a fucking crazy year. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and transition to, uh, some playoff basketball. Yeah, man. Um, I know we mentioned last time that you kind of got your prediction rightly. Uh, I think you picked Lakers heat. Um, I think we did both predict that the Lakers will probably end up winning that series, but here we are today. Um, two, one, Going into game four, um, Bam Adebayo and Goran Dragic were both out for game two and game three. They both got injured in game one. Um, but, man, that fucking performance that Jimmy Butler, you know, put on the other night was absolutely incredible. I, I've i never been so proud of someone that I've never met in my entire life. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that's a bold statement. Yeah, yeah. yeah like for, for someone, for, for those who don't, watch basketball didn't happen to see the game jimmy butler dropped a 40 point triple double so he had 40 points 11 assists and 13 rebounds in the game he's one of three players to ever have a triple double in the nba finals joining lebron james and jerry west and he's the first player in history to outscore lebron in a game in a game for points rebounds assists steals and blocks, including people on his team. So no one has ever done that to LeBron James before Jimmy Butler. Shout out to Jimmy G Buckets, man. Incredible game. And I, I personally, because I mean, game four is tonight. It's October 6th for those who are going to listen to this. It's Tuesday. There's game four is tonight. Jimmy Butler revitalized the Heat. A little bit, right? And I'm not saying that they're going to win the series, but I think if they lost that game three, the Heat come in tonight and fucking sweep. LeBron's got a cigar in his mouth, popping bottles of champagne. But now we got a different story. Yeah, man. For sure. It's super exciting to see Jimmy Butler. And um, I think Jimmy is one of those under-the-radar stars in the league that has, you know, been underappreciated. But if you check this man's fucking resume, that motherfucker's got a fucking crazy resume. Four or five times second team on defense, five time all star, most improved player, um, you know, just the accolades go on and on. Um, but he is an instant elevator of a team. Whether or not you like, you know, the way that he his leadership style, he he demands a lot of us out of his team. But 
look at every team that he's played on when he joined, like, you know, when he got there, you know, once he got his peak, like, like don't get me wrong, he, when he first got in the NBA, he, re- he wasn't shit, but he wasn't really meant to be shit because he was a late second-round pick. But, like, once he, Jimmy Butler, you know, emerged in the NBA, when you, when you put him on a team, that team was automatically elevated, automatically elevated to playoff contention. Um, for example, you know, when he goes to Minnesota, plays with Tom Thibodeau and Carl uh, Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, um, who else was on that team? I don't know if Rubio was on that team at the time. I think he was there at the time. I can't remember off the top of my head. You know, they went from, um, you know, not a playoff team to at the peak of the season, they were a f- in the fourth overall slot in the Western Conference, which is fucking hard as fuck. Then Jimmy got hurt. Uh, they still ended up making the playoffs, but they were about a seven or eight seed. Um, but while he while he was healthy, they were, you know, competing night in and night out, weeks, 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 if not months, you know, at that three, four, five slot in the Western Conference, which is not easy to do. Then he goes to Philly. Philly was like, ah, you know, emerging, nothing crazy. They had maybe one or two playoff appearances in the last couple, couple of years. Um, you know, bounce first round, nothing too crazy. Jimmy Butler joins that team. They go seven games with the Toronto Raptors. And if it wasn't for literally probably the mo- one of the most lucky buzzer beaters I've ever seen in my life, like that whole entire playoff, like would have been completely different. Um, and what happened when he left that team? fucking shit what happened when he left minnesota not very good like um he's an instant elevator of men like he his leadership his defensive uh capabilities the way that he elevates his teammates is you know not many people in the nba are like that um now the last two days in my in a group chat with some of my buddies from college we've been going back and forth for literally two days about whether or not Jimmy Butler is a top 10 player in the NBA. And that's what the debate started. And then it got to, then we were talking about like, Oh, is he a superstar? Then we're trying to figure out what the definition of a superstar is. So I'm not going to give you the whole, you know, roundabout of the entire debate because this shit literally went on for days. So that would take me a long time. (laughs) Uh, But basically uh, there's a couple of people in the group chat that are basically saying that Jimmy Butler isn't top 10 and he's not even top 20, not like, and I was literally fuming. <laughs> I would, I, I, I'm, I just felt, I felt my blood pressure raise up a little bit by right when you said not even top 20, I was like, I'll argue with anybody right now. I, I was fuming. And I was like, well, I'm not even going to give you my opinions that let's just, let's just do a Google search. Um, and we'll take the first page results for best NBA players or top NBA players, 2020, you know, and just and see what they at what what the what all these different analysts and where they average you know where you average that. There was like ten lists. It was like ESPN, Bleacher Report, um, you know, like all these different sports journalists, The Ringer, all these different sports journalists who have pretty credible you know basketball analysts who are writing these stories. It's not like Stephen A. Smith make writing these stories. These are these are guys that are you know are niche writers. They're niche in their sport. Like it's not saying that their opinion is fucking gold. It's not. But this is why I, I took the opinion of multiple of them like 10 or 15 stories and Jimmy Butler was at the lowest. He was 13 at the highest. He was eight on average. He was probably anywhere between someone, uh, probably like nine or 10 spot, maybe 11. <laughs> and these guys were trying to tell me that Jamal Murray was better than Jimmy Butler, that Trey Young was better than Jimmy Butler, that Donovan Mitchell was better than Jimmy Butler, that um, Devin Booker was better than Jimmy Butler, that Carl Anthony Towns was better than Jimmy Butler. Uh, who else were they like? And, I was just sitting here like in, in, in just total awe because the amount of disrespect that this man has been getting 
is just absolutely insane. And um, casual fans, man, they drive me insane because the, all they know is offensive statistics and offensive numbers and Instagram pictures and who's, you know, smashing what Instagram model and posting up with who and how, like, on what earth is De- Devin Booker better than fucking Jimmy Butler? Not this goddamn earth, I'll tell you that. He's not. And I think that there's – I can see maybe you want to say that a couple years down the line when you see his career or if he leaves the Suns, you know. But as long as he plays on the Suns, the guy's not winning shit. When you said Carl Anthony Towns, Carl Anthony Towns wasn't even the best player when he played with Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler was the better player. <laughs> um, Jamal Murray, I will say, if we're looking at it from a recency bias – Guy is fantastic. He's a, like he's going to have a great career, but I think it's too early to for, to even say that. Trey Young, as great of an offensive player as he is, guy can't play defense for shit. I actually think he's bottom three out of starting point guards. No, 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 no. He he was he was the statistically the statistical worst um, defender of any, <laughs> of any guard like on any rating, any defensive efficiency rating. He was dead last. Um, and yeah, and and I said, hey man, maybe down the road some of these guys will maybe they'll 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 have better careers than Jimmy. Maybe they will. But we're talking right now. We're talking about 2020. Is Jimmy Butler top 10, top 12 in 2020? The answer is absolutely. The answer it's it's unequivocal. Absolutely. Like it doesn't even make sense. His his track record is proven, and it speaks for itself. Like the amount of elevation that he brings to the team. Where was Miami last year out of the playoffs? They added some pieces. They added Jimmy Butler, but the roster for itself is, you know, pretty much the same. I would say they added they added um, Tyler Hero, who 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 knew this he was going to be this good. Um, but again, I think that a lot of that's due to Jimmy. Um, Tyler Hero, uh, Kendrick Nunn, and uh, Andre Iguodala are the the I think the the new pieces to the team. Yes, Bam Adebayo pl- up up this game from last year to this year. I also think that's a huge that's a huge uh, a lot of that you can – I'm not saying give Jimmy credit for his emergence, but, like, when you play with a guy like that, like, it brings that confidence out of you. It brings that that competitive that competitiveness, that drive for you to, like, you know, not give a fuck. Like, Tyler, Tyler Hero's taking big shots in the, in the fucking finals as a rookie. Like, he's not, he's not doing that with most other guys. He's going to pass the ball, but, like, I, I just think that it's super disrespectful the way that Jimmy Butler has looked at in the NBA. And um, I think he's finally getting the respect that he deserves. And I don't think they're going to win the series, but I think if he can get another game, uh, maybe in two, two more games, I, I think that I think the Miami Heat are going to be around for um, quite a while. I 100% agree. I know at the beginning of the season, there was a lot of disrespect to Jimmy Butler. They tried to paint Jimmy Butler how – Carmelo Anthony was, you know, staying in New York, taking all the money. He doesn't care about winning championships. They were like, Jimmy wants to enjoy his offseason in Miami. You heard it. You heard it all. Something that got brought up on a, a, another podcast I heard about Jimmy Butler's leadership was a really good point. This guy, this guy brought up how in Tyler Hero, going into the finals, Tyler Hero was asked about, like, what does it feel like to play in the NBA finals? And the entire time that he was talking about how he was feeling going into the finals, he was talking about Jimmy Butler and how happy he was for Jimmy Butler and how Jimmy deserves this and Jimmy's a great leader. Now, Drew, I don't know about you, but if I'm a 20-year-old kid and been hooping my whole fucking life and I make it to the NBA finals, you would think 
that you're going to say like, I've been waiting for this my whole life. Like I'm ready for this moment, whatever. None of that. All like how great of a leader does Jimmy Butler have to be for you to not even acknowledge your own dreams of playing in the NBA finals. You are happy enough for Jimmy Butler. And I think that says a lot to me. Yeah, man. Um, exactly. And, and I would say, right. Like, there is there is some of Jim Lee's previous teammates who maybe didn't like him, maybe didn't get along with him. Um, but earlier today, I was actually listening to a podcast, All the Smoke, with uh, Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson, which is probably the best basketball podcast you could probably listen to. Just they just have some crazy guests on there, and they, the conversations get pretty pretty in depth. But they had JJ Redick on there, and JJ Redick played with um, Jimmy Butler in, in, in Philly last year, where they you know they had the playoff run where they ended up losing to the Toronto Raptors. Um, but he was like. You know, they asked him, sure, like, what is it like playing with Jimmy? What is it like playing with Jimmy? And JJ was like, dude, I fucking love playing with Jimmy Butler. Like, he's, like, one of the smartest guys. Like, you know, he's always going to demand a lot out of his teammates. He's going to, you know, but he's always going to he, – everything he demands out of you, he's going to be doing himself. So he's not going to be one of those leaders who, you know, leads by their voice but not by their actions. He's going to do both. Um, but he's like, yeah, I mean, I definitely see how some people don't like that or don't like that about him or, you know, he rubs him the wrong way. But, like, nothing that he does is out of, like, a malicious intent and nothing that he does is, like, you know, in a disrespectful manner where that it's not meant to, like, you know, uplift you and bring the full potential out of you. Um, and uh, I, I, he – literally nothing but brilliant things to say. And, and another thing another, – another example was – it was Andrew Wiggins, I think, on Twitter. Uh, there was, like, a meme basically saying, like, how, like, the Timberwolves didn't want to play with Jimmy, blah, 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 blah. And then – um, Andrew Wiggins quoted and it was like not me it wasn't me like I, I wanted to play with Jimmy <laughs> and then and then somebody quoted that with the picture of like somebody like pointing and then it was like Carl Anthony Towns <laughs> yes bro bro that's exact I, I saw that exact <laughs> meme and I think that's true because it seems like I, I don't really I mean I don't know him I'm not in practices and stuff but from being a fan and I would say like a like a pretty uh, into NBA fan, Carly Toms doesn't always seem like he wants it. And it, it, and I know that's something that gets said vaguely about people in basketball or any sport really, like, oh, they just wanted it more. And I mean, you, you'll never be able to argue that completely. It's kind of something that you can't measure. But it's it, I think there's something to that because Jimmy Butler came from playing Juco and then he went to Marquette, which is nowhere near known as a basketball school. And he was homeless, bro. Yeah, fucking homeless. He and then faxed he, his letter of intent to Marquette from a fucking McDonald's, bro. That that's that's so incredible, and it, I don't, like it's inspiring, and it's it just shows the dedication that that guy has, and. Back to the podcast that I was listening to that I referenced before, it's called Flagrant 2. They were talking about this, and this the guy, his name's Akash, on the podcast was saying, I think, he's like, I could be wrong, but I think why Jimmy Butler doesn't like certain people is because he knows that he's not this natural God-given talent, but he's worked his ass off and come over the most incredible adversity, that when he sees someone who does have that talent but doesn't work any as hard as he does or as, as he would want them to, he's kind of like, I fucking hate you. Because yeah. if I had your talent, like, I'd be LeBron James, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. And I don't know if we talked about this last pod, but um, there was the historical practice where Jimmy Butler 
got into it with the GM of the Timberwolves and the coaches and all the players. And he was like, cool, I'm running with the twos. And he ran with the bench players against the starters. And they blew <laughs> the starters out. And the starters were Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, um, a couple other guys I can't remember. But blew them out of the water. Apparently, Jimmy Butler had like three steals, like three blocks, you know, like a bunch of dimes, a bunch of assists. And I guess the craziest part of the thing is they said that Jimmy Butler didn't even shoot one shot. Like, it was just like he, he, he just he just did what he wanted to on the defensive side of the floor with them and dished out dimes and just elevated the bench players to a level where they were just fucking smoking the starters. Um, and that and then eventually he ended up leaving that, that team. But I don't quote me on this. I could be wrong. But I think Carl Anthony Towns comes from a little bit of money, a little bit of privilege. Um, and it – it could be stereotype. It doesn't, don't give me like, there's, there's hungry people. People can come from privilege and still be hungry as fuck. Like you can't, like, it's not, it's not like a, you know, black or white thing, but like, you know, you're more likely to have that edge, that competitive nature, that little bit of fucking extra ump in you when you come from the fucking gutter. And I, I just think that Jimmy Butler is just the epitome of that. And like you mentioned earlier, when you, when, when you are, when you know how hard you worked for everything that you have and you have other guys who are just like refusing to fucking, you know, even do the bare minimum, um, you know, I could see why that could be really frustrating. Yeah. Um, we spent a lot of time. The thing I think you should take out of this um, is Jimmy Butler is a fucking top 10 NBA player. That's, <laughs> that's my number one take. I, we have, we'll, I guess we got two. We'll just touch briefly on some, uh, some NFL notion. We're not going to talk too much baseball. Sox and Cubs both got eliminated. We're going to call it a scratch on the year. You know, a friendly handshake. It's bear season now for us Chicago fans. Yeah, I watched no baseball this year. So, um, I usually don't watch a whole lot, but I usually watch the playoffs and then probably some of the last regular season games. But I, I just had no interest in the 60-game season, um, especially with NBA bubble back, like NFL starting. It just – the time of the year, just I just didn't give a fuck about baseball. Um, now, I don't really want to go too much in detail with what's going on in the NFL. Like there, that we would be here for hours. Um, but I did want to talk about like the recent, the recent COVID outbreak that happened in the NFL and kind of, you know, what that means, what what happened, like, you know, what the fuck, like what the fuck. So fast forward a couple months ago, everybody's like. NFL is like, we're going on. We're going to have a season. We're not going to do a bubble. Like, we're going to be fine. Like, blah, blah, blah. We got this techn- this contact tracing technology. We're going to get this rapid testing. We're going to be good. There might be some positives here and there. Um, but I think we have a good policy, a good protocol, um, and we'll be able to, you know, finish the season. And I'm like, okay, yeah, if any season, if any league can pull it off, it's the NFL. I'm like, maybe they should do a bubble. Maybe they should do a quasi bubble, do four different bubbles, blah, 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 whatever. But I'm like, you know, they got enough money to pull it off. I think they'll be able to pull it off. So far, the first couple of weeks went through with not many, not many, um, not many bumps in the road. There was like a positive here and there, um, but nothing that could be classified as an outbreak. Up until last week, the Tennessee Titans, man, they had a fucking cluster, dude. Like they had 18 positive tests in a matter of like four or five days absolutely crazy um their game ended up getting postponed it was a sunday game that they wanted to they wanted to move it to monday or tuesday then there was more tests every day i think for like four or five straight days there was more tests more positive tests it's fucking crazy dude i i no lie it was so dramatic not only of that 
but a couple, I mean, like Cam Newton got COVID, a couple other people like in the league got COVID and they were pretty like big stars. They were delaying games. I actually thought at one point this past week, what if the NFL season just gets canceled now? Like week four, like I was like, what are they going to do? Yeah. And that, and that was a knee jerk reaction by a lot of people. Um, but like when you actually look and see what happened, there was no team that had multiple tests, multiple positive tests outside of Tennessee Titans. It just was the way that it was laid out in the new cycle. Um, turns out, man, that the fucking Tennessee Titans, they're like under deep investigation by the NFL for multiple COVID violations, uh, multiple um, protocol breaches. And um, there's probably going to be some punishments laid out, but there was, there was rumors that there was an assistant coach who had maybe had some, some, some uh, symptoms and didn't report that he had a little bit of symptoms, like a stuffy nose, blah, blah, blah. I mean, apparently he wasn't wearing a mask around the facility. And then next thing you know, they have a fucking full blown outbreak, full blown um, 18 people, I think total between players and staff and personnel and coaches ended up contracting the coronavirus. Um, And then like, like you said, like this happened and then, Cam, then you get a fucking the next day you get like a uh, alert cam dude and test positive coronavirus there was a player on the Kansas city chiefs i think their backup quarterback uh, jordan camu or tamu um their their third team quarterback um tested positive as well but after like you kind of take a step back look at the facts see what actually happened the tennessee titans were the only team that had an actual outbreak every other team just had one or two positive tests uh, i think just one positive test um, which shows that the protocol that they have actually is catching it before they become clusters. And it just it seems to point that Tennessee just had some giant negligence, some giant, like, clearing holes in the way that they were going about um, preventing outbreaks. Um, we also saw it happen in baseball. Baseball had some, some hiccups. Um, I think positive tests are part of it. If you're not doing a bubble, I think it's going to happen. If you're not doing a bubble – um, it's a whether or not can you stop one positive test from becoming a fucking cluster and becoming uh, putting other people at risk. And I think if we look at the Kansas City situation, we look at the New England situation, and then as well uh, when the Bears played the Falcons last week, um, they had a te- one positive test a couple of days before the game as well. As long as the NFL can show me that you know when a one player tests positive, they they can they can identify that quick enough before like that person infects anybody else. I think we will be we'll be able to get to the season. However, if there's more examples of the Tennessee Titans that happen where they let one positive test become a fucking outbreak, then then they're going to be at fucking huge risk. Um, if that makes sense. So I didn't want to break down for maybe some of the people who like saw stuff in the headlines, didn't really understand what was going on. Um, I just wanted to break down kind of what happened, how why the situations were a little bit different. Um, yeah, I mean, I want football, so I was like. Let me figure out what the fuck's going on. Let me read all this <laughs> shit. I'm like, there's no way I'm going out going without this shit. Like, that shit's crack. Inject that in my veins. <laughs> You're going to be watching highlights of, like, a 2006 game between the Saints and the Panthers. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it wasn't a good week. Um, but I'm optimistic. I think they did revamp some of their protocols. The NFLPA and the NFL came to some agreements, some more stricter guidelines um, as well. Oh, I forgot to mention – the NFL did lay out some fines to some players as well for violating COVID uh, protocols. Darren Waller, Jason Witten, and a couple of the uh, uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Darren Waller had a charity found uh, charity fundraiser, and there was a bunch of pictures and video online of you know them at this this fundraiser, you know, shaking hands, kissing babies, hugging people, you know, with no masks on, basically. And 
people like uh, for, like a casual person, someone who maybe a MAGA, team MAGA might be like, who gives a fuck? Like, oh, don't let, don't live in fear. It's not even just about that. Like those people, they're they're gonna be fine. If, like the the players, they'll probably be fine if they contract COVID. But like, if there's COVID outbreaks, they're not getting a paycheck. They're not having a season, and they're putting they're putting thousands of people's livelihoods at jeopardy. Not not and I'm not talking about just the the athletes that are making this money. I'm talking about the people that they employ on you know, from the fucking janitors that are cleaning out the fucking bathrooms for the people who, you know, the coaches, the staff, the people who are working the field, the people who are working in the stadiums. Like if there's COVID outbreaks, man, all those people aren't getting a job. They're not getting paid. The players aren't getting paid either. And a lot of these guys, their NFL careers are short three to six years and they're on fucking minimum contracts where they're going to have to get another job after they leave the NFL. So if there's a, if there's a fucking outbreak in the NFL and you guys are fucking over your colleagues around the league, you are they don't get paid. They're not going to get paid if they don't play. <laughs> so it's important that they abide by those rules if they want to have a season, if they want to make money, if they want to be able to provide for their families. And just wear the fucking mask. Like, at the end of the day, like, <laughs> wear it. Yeah, it's not that hard. And the, the last, last thing I'll say about that is just uh, there is a paradox that we brought up when we first went into the lockdown, and it's that – if things go mostly well and there's a lot of a lot of people who don't die, you know, and it's it seems like uh, we've got it pretty much under control, a lot of people are going to think that they were right the whole time and say that COVID isn't a big deal. And now it's like, were you right or did we just take necessary preparation? You know, it's like NFL – and I know Roger Goodell's not going to be fucking listening to this podcast, which would be really, actually, it'd be really funny if he was, but, <laughs> but who are you going to be like? Are you going to be like the NBA or and you're going to, you're going to have good protocol or are you guys going to be a mess? And are you going to be just like general portions of the population or like what we talked about earlier in this episode, are you going to be like the white house? You know, like don't let the clusters make, I want football. It's the only thing that's going to get everyone through the rest of the year. So let's, let's let's work together for America's true pastime. Let's do it. Let's do it. I just want to um, add one thing. I think the people who like the, on the other side of the argument, like, hey, like, oh, there's not like, oh, it doesn't kill more than the flu. Oh, like, blah blah blah. It's not that big of a deal. I think they've already been proven wrong. Um, Two hundred thousand dead. Um, now that those people on the other side of the debate are now, you know, trying to discredit whether or not there's actually two hundred thousand people that are that died from COVID. That's very fucking dangerous, very fucking, I think, irresponsible to do. Um, and just today, Trump tweeted out, like, the flu, you know, oh, it kills 100,000 people every year, like, blah, 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 blah. Some, and, and the tweet actually got flagged by Twitter and Facebook, like, because it's like, bro, that's not true. Um, so what side do you want to be on? Do you want to be on the right side of history, or do you want to be on the stubborn side of history, who will move the goalpost to support their argument <laughs> no matter what it takes like they'll move their stance once that stance is once that stance is debunked they'll move it again <laughs> and they'll keep moving it and they'll keep moving it and you followers you're nothing but sheep <laughs> you're in a cult uh. you're in a cult just like billy said um but yeah man I, i'm done i've said my piece i know you got your history fact to wrap us up to send us home so we can watch jimmy butler do his thing yes sir and uh 
this this history fact um it, it kind of is it represents a theme of america doing things that help us in the short term and uh hurt may may hurt us in the long term so there is a lot of historical evidence to show that the united states government uh funded and trained osama bin laden and al-qaeda um in the 80s right and this this really started to become news per se after 9-11 of course when you know people found out about al-qaeda's interaction with osama bin laden to take down the twin towers you know crash into the pentagon it, it, it's kind of controversial. I, I actually encourage people to look into it. Um, but basically, the, the reason that a lot of people say this is because in, in the 1980s, we're still in the Cold War, uh, following, obviously, World War II between the United States and the Soviet Union. And the Soviet Union had a stronghold in Afghanistan, right? And there was a thing called the Soviet Af Afghan War that went on from 1979 to 1989. And basically what this was, was, you know, like we have done, like other countries in history done, the Soviet Union went into Afghanistan and tried to take the land, tried to, you know, control the country, use it as a, like a proxy point for, you know, their war with us and get resources, you know, kind of what the Middle East is go doing today in other various countries. And there's, for example here, uh, there's a man, his name is Sir Martin uh, Ewans. He was a British leader um, that noted that the Afghan Arabs uh, benefited indirectly from the CIA's funding uh, through various resistance organizations. So what this means is that in the 1980s, because we did not want the Soviet Union to, you know, take full control over Afghanistan and have like a powerhouse in the region for whatever our personal reasons were. We, we were, the rebellions. yeah, we were funding the rebellion, which this is like uh, for you Star Wars fans, the fucking rebels. It's like as if like there was another version of the Death Star that was giving you guys money to help you against Darth Vader. That's, right. that's kind of, that's the most simplest way to put it. And they said there was an estimated of over $800 million between 1980 and 1988 that was getting funded to not only give weapons to these rebel groups, but also to train them in military tactics. Um, now, there's, there's some people who debate against that, say that's bullshit, but I will say that most of the people who say it's bullshit are either current or former CIA workers, so that's a little sketch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so it... it it, it wouldn't surprise me. I don't want to lock it in as a historical fact, but it's more of historical, uh, just history that you should look into because the United States seems to do this a lot where uh, we'll fund a group and then it will come back to bite us in the butt. Like we did that with ISIS too in the Middle East. And all of a sudden, I, I think it was 2015, 2016, where ISIS started making like mainstream news in the United States for being a terrorist organization uh there's a lot of evidence that shows before that we funded them and it makes you think like you look around the world and all of our military interventions and whatnot it's what are we doing now 
that is just so short term that it's going to come back and bite us like that. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, exactly. We're always, like we're just always going to do what benefits us in the moment um, because that's what is important, I guess. Um, but yeah, there's consequences to those actions. Um, whether or not the stuff would have transpired without our help, who knows? It's up in the air. Like I think that that's probably a valid point. Like whether or not America did fund them or not would they have existed without it who knows it's not really anything that we can prove or disprove but i think it's important that you know you know that like hey we we this we did spend a fuck ton of money doing this Uh, maybe he was a part of the group maybe he wasn't but um i like you said i think it's important right and i mean we could we could talk for several episodes talking about you know historical coups and military takeovers and funny that our government's done but it's not the time or the place, so I think we'll wrap it up for today and uh, thank everyone for listening. That's- Thanks for listening, man. Um, we appreciate the support. Don't forget to subscribe, subscribe on Apple, subscribe on Spotify, you know, share it, uh, you know, re- review us. That really does help us if you do give us a review on Apple or Spotify. Thanks a lot. Hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day and uh, until next time. Take care.